I mean, there, I have so many stories of Oktoberfest. If you like beer, if you like music, if you like making new friends, <laughs> it's, it's a good place to go. Hi, my name is Lev and welcome to Planet, the travel podcast where we give you inside tips and practical advice for cities around the world. We'll speak with experts and locals to help you make the most of your global travels. In this episode, we'll talk about Munich. First, we'll give you a quick intro to the city. Then, we're lucky enough to have Maxi Donich to give us the locals' perspective. At the end, we'll give you some practical tips for planning your trip. I always find it helpful to have a bit of background on the city before I go. So before we dive into the trip planning and local tips with Maxi, I'm going to give you the history brief. Here's a history of Munich in less than 60 seconds. Munich was founded way back at 1158 and went through a bit of an identity crisis as Bavaria split up. A lot of the Gothic architecture you see in the city is from this period. But when Bavaria reunited in 1506, Munich became its capital and cultural center. Over the next few hundred years, the city faced a few occupations and the bubonic plague. As the capital of the new kingdom of Bavaria in 1806, it went through another cultural boom. But during World War I, Munich was the target of several air raids, and the political turmoil that followed the war paved the way for the rise of extremists like Adolf Hitler. In the 1920s, Hitler's support was still confined to Munich, so when he tried to overthrow the government, he was arrested and jailed. When the National Socialists gained more power throughout the country, the Nazi party was able to spread. The city was heavily damaged by World War II, hit by 71 air raids over the period of five years. Munich may have been where the Nazi party started, but it's also where the White Rose, the student resistance movement, was founded, though many members were arrested and executed in the 1940s. Munich was rebuilt after the war and played such an important role in Germany, it was often called the secret capital. It's now a safe, beautiful city that has expanded massively, but still retains its village-like charm. When's the best time to go? If you're not going specifically for Oktoberfest, consider going on a shoulder season to save some money. The city is very pleasant in the summer and quite cold in the winter, but has lots of exciting holiday fairs and activities around Christmas and New Year's. Now for a quick geographic overview, Munich is bisected by a river. On the west side of the river, you have the plaza with several museums, the old town to the south, and the English gardens to the north. There are some things worth heading over to the east side for, but you'll likely spend most of your trip on the west. Now let's get down to it. We believe tips from those who really know the city can make all the difference. So today we have Maxi Donicht to help guide us through the city of Munich. Maxi's many talents include writing, literary translation, and teaching martial arts. She's also from Munich, so we're super lucky to have her today. Thanks for joining us. Hi, I'm glad to be here. So you grew up in Munich. What was that like? Uh, I did. I was born in Munich and I grew up in Munich. I lived there until about uh, until I was about 18. It was really a safe haven. Munich is a very peaceful, uh, kind of shielded place that's both metropolitan and very, very close to nature. So I got the best of both worlds. I really can't complain. What is the kind of nature that's available to see in music? Is it parks within the city or places in the surrounding areas? Uh, both. We have the English Garden, which is simply massive. I mean, it, it actually never stops. It's this giant uh, English Garden, obviously, that uh, just expands north along our main river, the Isar, and it never stops. It just keeps going, and at one point, you basically leave the, the city. So it's real. That is in the right and smack in the center of the city, and it's really, really huge. Um, and then in the surrounding area, you know, just uh, an hour in the car to the south, you have the Alps, which is great. Half an hour to like two hours out of the city, you have all these really, really big, gorgeous lakes that are, you know, known for their spa retreats and stuff. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's everything, mountains, flat, lakes, water, trees, biking, whatever your heart desires, sailing. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's awesome to get that in the city. And we'll get to the English gardens more when we talk about yeah. the sites, uh, which, we'll, which we'll start doing right now. Um, and to talk about the sites, we're going to play Grade It. So I'll ask yeah. you to give me a grade for each of the top museums, historical sites, and activities that will appear in most guidebooks. And hopefully this will yeah. give everyone listening a better idea of what to see, depending on the length of their stay. So yeah. let's get right to it. Uh, the Residence. This is a former palace of the Bavarian royalty and is the largest city palace in Germany. What's your grade for that? Uh, 
correct. So I'm going to give this one grade A. Um, it's, you know, it's really a jewel that's right in the city center. Also, the gardens that, that belong to it are really, really gorgeous, a wonderful place to hang out. It's right by Odeonsplatz, which is completely central, and Marienplatz, which we're going to talk about later. Um, yeah, definitely an A. It's, it's gorgeous in there, and it's so central. You don't have to go out of your way at all if you're exploring the city already. What's one of the coolest parts of it? that makes it an A? Because I know that a lot of there's, these palaces are in a lot of different cities across Europe. What's something that's unique to this one? Um, it has this really, really gorgeous um, hallway inside of it that it's quite famous for that uh, just has, you know, like golden walls and chandeliers. That's very, very impressive to walk through, and it has these large windows. But to me personally, the highlight is really the gardens right next to it. They're really, really nice. They have... Uh, they have this building in the center that's where sometimes live music is played. There will be violinists and people like that in there playing music. There's a beer garden, of course. So I think the garden right next to this uh, internally, you know, beautiful, old, royal building, that combination is very unique to me. Awesome. So definitely a can't-miss site for both the inside and the surrounding area. Yes, Next up, we have the Nymphenburg Castle. What grade would you give to um, this? This is the uh, Bavarian Royalty's summer home. Yes. Um, so I want to give everything an A, obviously, because <laughs> I'm and everything was great, but uh, I'm not going to. Um, I'm going to say for this one, I'm just going to say a minus, simply because it's basically the Bavarian Versailles, but it's obviously not quite as big and impressive as Versailles outside of Paris. France, so it's still very majestic, royal, impressive, you know. But it's kind of it's kind of similar also to what you have um, in the residence, you know. So it's it's n- it's not something you've never seen before if you regularly tour through castles and the likes in Europe. Uh, but it's still very very beautiful. It is sort of the Bavarian Versailles. So if you're into that, if you're interested, you're definitely gonna love it, and you should go check it out. And it's also not very far. It's basically in the city. It's not a day trip. It's something you can do the same day as you do other stuff. It's, it's you know, a small cab ride away from the center. Yeah, so that's a very cool thing about that because Versailles in relation to Paris is really a full-day trip. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that's really neat. Mm-hmm. Great. So next up we have Alter Peter, which is St. Peter's Church, the oldest church of the city. It's existed in some form since the 11th century. What did you think about this site and what's your grade? Precisely. So, Old Peter, you know, affectionately we call him Old Peter, Adapita, um, even though it's the Church of St. Peter. It's located on this little hill right in the city center. Um, and I'm going to give it an A. There's really not that much to see inside of it. It's a gorgeous, tiny little church. You can tell it's very old. It's interesting because it's been rebuilt many times. So, um, if you have an eye or a knack for architecture and the likes, you can see that in in the building and on the building, um, which is interesting. Uh, But the most precious thing about Atapita to me is the view from the top, and that's really the only thing it's about. The problem is you're going to have to go up 299 steps exactly to get there, so there's no elevator, you know. It's just staircases, which get pretty narrow at times. So this is not something for someone who, uh, you know, has trouble walking or maybe for someone you know, who doesn't like to go up too many steps or isn't physically fit. So, so don't do it in that case. I don't want anyone to end up hurt or anything. But um, if you are fit and capable, definitely do it because it's the best view you can get of Munich. You see the entire skyline. It's 360 degrees. You can walk around the top. And on a clear day, you can see the Alps, which is really, really impressive. You know, having the Munich skyline, which doesn't really have any skyscrapers, just these old red roofs and churches. And then you know, the giant Alps in the background as a backdrop is really something very, very special to see. Yeah, that sounds really beautiful. Um, and and even if you don't want to do the walk, it sounds like the church is, I mean, the church is really something that's special. It's very, it's very old and because you get to see the different stages of architecture for a multi-generational project. Right, but the problem is there's really, like, I'm not sure if there's actually really still a church part inside. Yeah, it's still good to look at from the outside in either case and it's very central in the city as well. So a solid A, maybe an A-plus if they had had elevators in the 11th century. Right, exactly. 
Awesome. Uh, next up, we have the BMW Museum. Uh, and this is a showroom where they have lots of really expensive cars and motorcycles, and you can get to try cars by getting into them. And these are cars that they cost more than most people would make in a year. They have demonstrations and exhibits about the history and future of cars in the museum. What would you say about this site? Well, personally, I'm going to give it a B, just because maybe I'm not enough into cars. Um, if you are into cars, it's definitely an A. I've been there twice. I've taken two point boyfriends over the past like 10 years there one of them was really into cars and motorcycles and he absolutely loved it and it was maybe his favorite part of it <laughs> um, the other one is you know like has like an average affinity to cars and was like yeah this is really cool that was really interesting but he didn't go bonkers so if you're really into also like automobile history if you're into that and interested in that it's it's very interesting if you're into cars, if you're into motorcycles, you're going to love it. If you're like, eh, whatever, then I wouldn't say it's a must-see for any other reason. You know, it, there's nothing else except kind of car history and cool cars and motorcycles you can even touch and, like, maybe sit on, you know, sit inside and on. It's kind of architecturally cool as well. I'll give it that. But it's going to get a B from me for that reason. Yeah. Okay, good to know. So if you're really into cars, definitely decide to see. If not... Maybe still go and have fun by trying out all the different cars and getting into them. Right. If you have extra time left, then go for it. Great. Next, we have Hofbrauhaus. Mm-hmm. That's the brewery that was founded in 1589 by the Duke of Bavaria. What's your yeah. grade for this site? Um, so I'm going to give this an A as well. Hof means court, so it used to be the royal brewery in back in the days of the kingdom of Bavaria. Um, it's located on the Plaza, which is the old part of town. So I'm also giving it an A. Uh, Location-wise, this is a really, really gorgeous, very, very old part of Munich where you can see some original um, city walls right nearby and stuff like that and city, city arches and stuff. It's a very, very historically important place also. I mean, it's been there for a while, so it's important for all of Munich's history. It's also historically important uh, because it was actually where Hitler had his successful, unfortunately, second, uh, in German we call it putsch. I'm not sure anymore if that's what you call it in English. Uh, where he had his speech and apparently shot into the ceiling with a revolver and managed to overthrow the government. So it's historically very relevant. There's apparently still areas where you can see where they painted over kind of the the swastikas and stuff, and you can still see parts of that history there. Um, So that's why it's still important that it's there and that, you know, it's a reminder of that time and what happened. Um, At the same time, it's also, it's much older than that. It's history. It's much richer than just that. Uh, It's really a hard piece of Bavarian culture. If you go there, if you can't make it to Oktoberfest, you should at least go to the Hofbräuhaus, to the Schwemme, which is the downstairs part, where you can really get a feel for Oktoberfest culture, Munich culture, Bavarian culture. You know, it's loud. There's always a brass band playing. There's delicious food. You can get a lot of the really traditional foods here. You should definitely try to uh, flag down one of the the pretzel-selling girls who have these large uh, trays of pretzels that are bigger than your head. Um, You know, have a nice beer. It's great. Uh, there's also an upstairs restaurant if you prefer it a little bit quieter because, again, can get pretty loud in the beer hall on the first floor. So the, that's right next to the – on the left side of the main entrance, there's a staircase that leads you to the quieter, a little more settled restaurant that serves the same great food and beer. So very high grades for Hofbrauhaus. I just wanted to say that again. Uh-huh. Yes. Culture, history, ancient and modern. So really exactly. cool. It's got everything. Next, we have another place that's really important to Bavarian culture and the city of Munich, and that's the Marienplatz. Yes, Marienplatz, yes, exactly. It's right in the center of the city. This is actually the real center of the inner city of Munich. That's why I'm going to give it an A as well. Um, however, there's, you know, there's something very special to see there, which I'm going to get to in a second. For me, because I've seen it maybe a million times, it gets more of a B grade because it's really not that exciting. But it does have... Um, I believe at least Europe's, I don't know if in the world, but at least I think Europe's oldest Glockenspiel. Um, the Glockenspiel plays twice a day, I believe, at 11 and at noon. So 
if you're gonna go, you should watch it just because it's so old and it's still in use and it's still working. Um, so it goes into action at 11 and at noon. And I put action in air quotes because it's really old and it really just goes around and shows the, like jousting scenes um, and has, you know, the glockenspiel, the, the bells in the background. Um, it's, it's from 1908 and it's part of the new town hall. Yeah, which is in itself also a very beautiful kind of gothic building. And if you're on Marienplatz, and a great place also to watch the Glockenspiel from is the Café Glockenspiel, which is a wonderful place to have brunch or breakfast when you're in Munich. So there's a lot to do there on the Marienplatz. And I've also, it's apparently the best place to watch the fireworks on New Year's if you happen to be there then. Yes, definitely. I mean, it is, it is, it, it is the actual center of Munich. City. You, you really can't get around Munich without going to Marienplatz at all. So it shouldn't be a problem to, to see this some, at some point all, during your trip. Just make sure you arrive there around 11 or 12 if you want to see the old Glockenspiel. Yeah. Cool. Next up we have the Viktualienmarkt. Yes. Viktualienmarkt is right next to Marienplatz. Um, it's a giant old market that happens every day except Sundays. Also, FYI, nothing is open on Sundays in Germany, especially Bavaria. Still very Catholic in many ways, so Sundays are don't don't expect anything open on Sundays. Um, but otherwise, it's open every day. It's a two hundred forty thousand square foot market, which has a wonderful beer garden in the middle. And personally, I just love markets, so it's going to get an A. And it's it's giant. It has great food. It's a wonderful place to hang out if the weather is nice. It's right kind of with the old Peter and Mainplatz. It's kind of like a little, little triangle in the city center. Yeah, markets are always fun, and because it's right near the city center, it's an easy place to see and definitely should hit it. Next, the Egyptian Museum, which is, as it sounds, a collection of Egyptian art and yeah. a Bavarian collection, and it's a fairly extensive collection. What, what do you think about this museum? It is a fairly extensive collection. Um, I was there recently, actually, and so I'm going to give this like a C or C+, plus. not because it's bad at all, but just because I feel weird giving everything <laughs> Um, so, you know, you have to really be into Egyptian things. It obviously isn't culturally that related to Munich or Bavaria, uh, although we do have an obelisk uh, in another part of the city. Yeah, you really have to like Egyptian culture. If, you, if you're interested in Egyptian history and culture, it's a good place to go. But I wouldn't see it's an absolute, I wouldn't say it's an absolute must-see of the city. I mean, there are better Egyptian collections in Paris, New York, and obviously Egypt. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, it's not bad. It's, if this is like your thing, then give it a go. It's 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 not that huge either. You can you can go through there in you know forty five minutes. I would say no problem if you're a quick, fast reader. But uh, yeah, it's it's not my top top site. Good to know. And next we have the three Pinakothetkin. Pinakotaken, yes. Pinakotaken. Yeah. Okay, the three um, Pinakotaken. Exactly, the three Pinakotaken. These, on the other hand, I think, if you're interested in museums, if you're interested in art and art history, are a definite must-see. They're really huge, all three of them, so unless you're really, really, really into art history, you maybe don't want to go to all three, but you can choose because they each have their specialization. So... The Alte Pinakothek, which means the old Pinakothek, has the art from the 14th to 18th century. The Neue Pinakothek, which means the new Pinakothek, covers 19th century art. And the recently opened uh, Pinakothek der Moderne, which means Pinakothek of Modernity, exhibits modern art, obviously. So you can choose which one if you're more into certain kinds of art. All three of them are really, really special. And the Pinacoteque de Moderna, the Pinacoteque of Modernity, the newest one, is also architecturally quite stunning. Um, it was designed by an architect called Stefan Braunfels. And if you end up going there, I would recommend you pay attention not just to the art inside, but also kind of the nooks and crannies of this place. I had the luck that while I was in high school, because I guess my mom um, knows this guy from way back when. He gave us a private tour of this building, and he was so proud of just the way, like, the light falls through these special little, you know, corners he designed. And sometimes you have this sudden, unobstructed view through all these corners to, like, two floors away. 
so he put a lot, a lot of thought into the building itself too. Um, it's itself kind of a piece of modern art. Yeah. And these are easy to miss. So I'm just saying, watch out for the cool architectural tidbits in there. Awesome. So the modern one is not to miss for the architecture and the other ones for the art itself, for exactly. sure. Great. Sure. Only two more left. One more museum. We have the Deutsche Museum. This is the world's largest museum of science and technology. What are your thoughts and your grade for this one? Absolutely. This is my personal favorite in terms of museums in Munich. Uh, there's so much to see. I mean, what you just said already says it all. It's the world's biggest museum for science and technology. And what better thing is there than science and technology? I mean, I love, you know, visual art too, but science and technology are awesome. It's definitely a must see. There are tons of interactive parts. And I remember as a child, I was very, very impressed by the electrical power section. They put on a show where they uh, basically, when I was small, they put a, this museum worker, they put this guy like in this cage and fired lightning bolts at him, <laughs> essentially. And That's I thought that was super cool, obviously, as a kid. Um, I don't know if they still put the guy in the cage, but they definitely still fire lightning bolts around, which is amazing. And it's all safe. Don't worry. So it's also a really, really great place to take kids if you have kids um, for interactive, educational, awesome opportunities. That sounds like something that at varying ages could be either terrifying or really cool. Yeah, no, it's very cool. It's very loud, but it's very cool. <laughs> so another can't miss there. And last but not least, we have, which you talked about a little bit, the English Gardens, the gorgeous public park in the city. You want to talk a little definitely bit more about also, why you love this so much? Yeah, it's definitely also, this is A plus for me, really. Uh, like I mentioned before, I really love growing up at the same time in a really metropolitan, international, you know, big city, and also nature. And this is such a great part of the city. It's like five times, six times the size of Central Park, and then it just opens up to the north and never ends, basically. Uh, come here to have a picnic, come to bike through the garden for hours, come to see or join the nudist babes in the nudist section. There's a lot to see here. Uh, in the center, there's a lake where you can rent boats, paddle boats or rowboats in the warm seasons, which is especially fun during uh, bird breeding season with all the baby birds around, um, like baby ducks and swans. There's a beer garden right next to this lake, too, which is really, really great. There's another beer garden next to this beautiful Chinese tower. We have a monopterus in there. We have Bavarian brass bands playing all over the place. We have people having drum circles. There's horse carriages. You can have a horse carriage ride through there. Um, you can also ride horses. There's special horse riding paths. You can, like, rent a horse if you know how to ride a horse. Or maybe you can even learn how to ride a horse. I'm not sure. Um, and you can ride through this massive English garden. There's beautiful views of the city because there's hills in there where you can see the, the city. Uh, and last but not least, there's also surfers in this very smaller, not the Isa, the main river, but a smaller stream that's called the Eisbach, the ice stream. People also bathe in there in the summer, but its name, it is very, very cold. But every season, winter, summer, no matter, you will find surfers right at the southern border of the English Garden, at the Eisbach, surfing on this wave that uh, somehow is made by something in the water you know, obstructing the flow, and then the water just goes down in this giant big wave that never ends, and they just jump in there and try to ride the wave for as long as they can. It's incredibly entertaining to watch, so check that out for sure. English Garden is the best part of Munich. Yeah, it's beautiful, and then also sort of like an amusement park almost with all the things yes, you can do. Yes, there's, it's just a park, and yet there's so much to do and to see in there. It's awesome, and so so much fun that you can have there. So uh, now we have different foods that you could try in Munich and that you should try while you're in Germany in general. Yes. So let's get started with Brezen. You want to tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, Brezen. Uh, other places, it's sometimes called a Brezel, but Brezen is really what you want to say. It's great. It's, uh, I think, the Bavarians' favorite breakfast, where in France, people would just buy a baguette and eat a baguette. In uh, Munich, you buy a Brezen, and often a Brezen, a Butterbrezen with uh, butter, just cut through the middle and butter on it. It's so simple, but so good. There's also sometimes Brezen with like uh, cream cheese and chives in it. Uh, it's very, very good. It's my favorite breakfast, pretty much. Uh, and pretty much anywhere you go, you're going to get good Brezen. As I said before, Hofbräuhaus has the really big Oktoberfest ones that are like twice the size of your head, which are really, really delicious as well. And it sounds like also very nice picnic food. Yes, perfect picnic food, indeed. 
Great. Uh, next we have apple strudel. Apple strudel, I think this one's pretty self-explanatory. Everyone knows what apple strudel is. Yes, get it. It's great. <laughs> um, most restaurants here, here, I'm saying here, I'm not in Munich, unfortunately, but most restaurants in Munich offer apple strudel on their dessert menu. Most of the traditional Bavarian restaurants, Hofbräuhaus has it. This other great Bavarian restaurant called Spatenhaus, right next to the opera, has it. Have some apple strudel while in Munich, for sure. Is that the typical German, if there were one German dessert, would you say that that is it? If there were one German dessert, I would say Apfelstrudel is it, yeah, because it's actually quite common and uh, typical in other places of Germany as well. If there was one specifically kind of Bavarian dessert, I would actually say it's a different one, which I believe maybe might be on our list, which is Kaiserschmarrn. That's on the list, so you can go ahead and talk about that one. <laughs> Kaiserschmarrn is basically like a fluffy pancake that was ripped up in the pan and often has raisins in it. Uh, it's then covered with powdered sugar, and on the side you have usually like lingonberry jam or something like that, or sometimes also applesauce. Uh, this is really a typical Bavarian slash Austrian dessert. Obviously, Bavaria and Austria are very closely related uh, culturally. Yeah, it's it's really good. And it, Kaiser's emperor, emperor and Schmann uh, is sort of like. Am I allowed to swear? <laughs> it's basically like. Yeah, go for it. We go go for it. We'll edit it out if we need to. It's like emperor's emperor's bullshit. I don't know. I don't actually know why they call it this. You should look it up. It's probably a pretty interesting story. Um, but the the German word is not as offensive, I would say, as English. It's just man. Even children say schman. It just means ah, that's you know whatever. Yeah. That's really funny though. <laughs> Leber Kassemel? Yeah, Leberkäsemel. So Semmel is just the bread. Uh, the actual food in here is Leberkäse, which means liver cheese. It contains neither liver nor cheese. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> what, what's with all these the naming foods? I, we love weird words and naming things like... Obstrusively. I, I don't know. Don't, don't ask me. <laughs> but I really don't know why it's named like this. It's basically like the German meatloaf. It consists of different types of meat, beef, pork, bacon, all in there. And they're ground up very, very fine and then baked kind of in a bread pan until the top is really crunchy brown, has a crunchy brown crust. And then it's sliced and typically it's it's a very, very typical kind of to-go lunch um, just served in you know a white bread roll with either some typical Bavarian sweet mustard or some spicy mustard, just, uh, you know, au naturel with nothing, or some people even eat it with ketchup. So a good, a good dinner lunch option. Yes. It's, it's, I mean, it's like street food. This is Bavarian street food. Basically. This is, you'll also sometimes get in a restaurant and then usually it'll maybe, it'll just be the meatloaf with a, a sunny side of egg on top. That's actually a very popular breakfast. Um, but it's a very, very typical to-go lunch street food that you can have on the go while you're walking. Great. So we have our breakfast, our lunch, our dessert. Uh, last but not least, we have Schweinsachsen. Schweinsachsen. This is the uh, very famous Bavarian pork knuckle. So if you want a good Schweinsachsen, Hofbräuhaus does serve a good one. There's also a Haxenbraterei, which is a special restaurant just for these pork knuckles, right around the corner from Wolf by House, but you can get them also pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Another very typical Bavarian dish. Is your favorite uh, food, Bavarian food you have? It could be something on the list or, or something else, just a, any sort of favorite. If you had one one meal mm -hmm. when you go back to Munich. That's very tough. Um, well, I'm definitely, I used to eat a lot of Leberkäsewe when I was young in Munich. Brezen, obviously. One that's not on the list that's my favorite is Käsespätze or Kashbatzen, if you want to be all Bavarian about it, um, which is basically a kind of noodle. Spätzle are like a kind of German, something between a dumpling and a noodle, like German gnocchi, basically, um, but a little firmer. And then they're just covered in cheese, basically, covered in Austrian uh, mountain cheese, and they're delicious. And then crispy, they usually fry some onions to become very, very crispy and put them on top. Yum. Yes, very good. That's that sounds like an amazing thing to try. 
Okay, so before we go on any further, we have a few more things to do. Uh, we've mentioned Oktoberfest several times, so do you want to talk about Oktoberfest, um, to sort of explain what it is and, and some maybe experiences that you've had with it? Oh, definitely. Um, so Oktoberfest is the largest folk fest in the world, so obviously we have to talk about, talk about it. It happens annually. Um, I want to get this right out of the way here, misconception that many people have. This happens only in Munich. This does not happen anywhere else. And anywhere else that it does happen, it's imitating Munich. It is originally <laughs> Munich. The Munich one is the biggest falsehood in the world. That's it. The one and only. Um, it has, it is really, really, really giant. Um, it started off as a wedding celebration for what was at the time the Crown Prince Ludwig, who later became King Ludwig I in 1810 and um, it was just a celebration for their wedding followed a few days later by some horse racing uh, in honor of them and it just somehow became a thing the year after they decided to do, to do it again because it had been lots of fun and the people of Munich had loved it they had invited the public to come join them celebrate their wedding and from then on it basically yeah it became a thing there obviously have been a few years that Oktoberfest hasn't happened since then. I believe in total 24 times that it did not happen. Um, obviously, during the war, it didn't happen. There were several wars, obviously, in, in the meantime. And uh, that's typically a time when it wouldn't happen. But otherwise, it happens every year. And it's great fun. Uh, visitors, we get around 7 million in these wow. three weeks. Yeah, it happens for three weeks. It actually ends in October. It's not in October. It actually ends on the first weekend of October. So, again, don't tell me. Don't ask me why we name things and what we do. Right? <laughs> um, and these 7 million visitors uh, consume approximately 7 million liters of beer while they are there. It is, of course, aptly also named Beer Fest often because some people in some cultures call it Beer Fest, not October Fest. Uh, in Munich, you would usually just call it the Wiesen which is basically means field in Bavarian dialect, and it's referring to the field that this festival always happens on, which is the Theresienwiese. It's just a big field in the city of Munich. It has a big statue of our Bavarian you know, patron saint goddess Bavaria at the end of it. Um, yeah, it's great. If you like roller coasters, if you like beer, if you like music, if you like making new friends, <laughs> it's, it's a good place to go. Um, if you go, you should definitely deck yourself out with some traditional Bavarian clothing to fit in. Otherwise, everyone will know you're a tourist. Um, and, I mean, there, I have so many stories of Oktoberfest. I mean, if you, you really don't like seeing drunk people, you probably shouldn't go because, obviously, <laughs> there's a lot of drunk people. <laughs> and there's this one hill. If you ever lose anyone, if you get very drunk at Oktoberfest and you lose your friend... There's this magical hill, really, that's the drunk hill. It's where all drunk people end up, and it's really true. And I've sometimes, I must say, I have ended up maybe once or twice there myself. When someone is really drunk, you can't reach them anymore. Their phone's out of battery, or they're just so drunk they, they can't even answer their phone. You will find them asleep somewhere on this, on this grassy hill, which becomes more of like a muddy hill covered in things we don't you know, want to think about. So pick them up from the hill, take them home, and wash them. But, uh, yeah, the Drunk Hill. And the Drunk Hill is a, is a good place to watch, too, because you see a lot of quite entertaining uh, things there. Yeah. <laughs> so you said that this is for anyone who likes beer, music, culture, or meeting people. So yeah. that, that should be just about anyone, right? Absolutely. But it's also, you know, it's definitely child-friendly. Uh, child and there's actually one day... Uh, that's Children's Day, where actually even all the roller coasters go at a slower speed so that children oh. can ride almost all of the roller coasters. But there are roller coasters also on regular days that are meant for children. There's, you know, haunted houses. There's mirror cabinets. There's uh, things, we you know, where you throw balls at, like, pyramids and try to knock them over. There's little, you know, BB gun shooting ranges. There's something for everyone. Something to definitely try to plan your trip around, uh, and you can decide yeah. whether or not you want to not get drunk and, and then sort of have more energy to enjoy the rest of the city or go for part of the experience yourself. Exactly. But I must say that Munich during at all other times of the year, it's like two different cities. So I would really recommend going for, for both because both are great in their own ways. But Oktoberfest does take over the entire city in a way. 
uh, in a good way. But then after three weeks of it, everyone's exhausted. Yeah, it sounds... During Oktoberfest and go not during Oktoberfest once. So next we have day trips um, yes. that you can take if you have a little extra time in Munich. Uh, so we have we have two here on the list. First is Dachau, which is the first Nazi concentration camp that opened in Germany. Uh, it has excellent exhibits that give a good overview of not just the Holocaust, but of the whole political and national landscape at the time. And it zooms in and personalizes while also putting the Holocaust uh, into a larger context. So exactly. what do you think about Dachau as, as a day trip? I think it's important to go, it's always important to go back and look at these things, but we still see so much of what led to that happening around us right now that more than ever, it's important to go there to feel it. It's heartbreaking. It's harrowing to go there. Um, it's definitely not, you know, it's definitely a depressing day trip, but it's a day trip that you have to absolutely do, have to absolutely take. Um, it's very much alive with, you know, very, very, very heavy emotions, very much misery and like you know oppressing feelings but it's so you know it, it makes you so thankful that we're living in a different time right now at the same time and it, it really opens your eyes to uh the dangers of national socialism all these things that unfortunately we're still seeing in the world today I would say you have to go. Uh, we went there, actually, I went there as a field trip with my school because in Germany we really, really, really try to educate young people about what happened. Um, it's really not something that's, like, swept under a rug or anything or that's like, oh, God, you know, that was bad. Let's not talk about that much. So, actually, when I was in middle school, they took us there on a day trip. And, you know, suffice to say that it was quite quite the impression on all of us kids you know it's 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 a terrible place to be you see you see things that you don't really want to see as a child but the thing is we have to see them all of us we should see them and you're right the museum part of it very informative very educational so must see must see it's um it's going to be a hard day but it's worth sacrificing your your smiles for for a few hours yeah yeah i find it really interesting that you, that you took a trip there in middle school because i feel like american schools sometimes sort of shy away or as you say like sweep under the rug some of the less glamorous moments in american history uh did you what was that like sort of being in germany is the, is the holocaust land that's talked about brought up a lot or you feel like it's sort of constantly around you yeah, it is. It is constantly around you. Every year, there's three new movies, German-produced movies about the Holocaust or about that time in one way or another. Books, uh, it's in the news all the time. It's mentioned all the time. There's facts, you know, all over the cities about here this happened, there this happened. Um, I I was brought up knowing almost, you know, as many details as I could. About it without ever asking for it, and I think that's that's a good thing. Even though going there as a child, like I said, it was a little overwhelming in many ways because you do also grow up with a certain like generational guilt. It's like why, like who was involved in this? My grandparents, like my great grandparents. What, what was going on here? I'm really glad that our educational system is like this, actually, and um, I'm really really glad that no one shies away talking about this because. There's only one way that humanity can learn from its mistakes. It's by not forgetting them. I'm very, very glad that Germany faces its mistakes head on and takes them, you know, like a bull by its horns and says, never forget this happened and let's get our children there and show them. Yeah, and that's exactly why this is an important site to visit. Uh, our second yeah. day trip is Neuschwanstein Castle, which is a 19th century Romanesque revival palace and it inspired Sleeping Beauty's castle in the Disney movie. Uh, so obviously a less emotionally heavy visit, but what would you say about this one? Um, Neuschwanstein is simply magical. If you, it's definitely also a whole day trip. So if you have the time, do go. Uh, it inspired, I believe, not only the Sleeping Beauty castle. I think it actually inspired like the Disney castle, like the the Disney castle that's in all the Disneylands. Um, it was built by our very own Mad King. 
King Ludwig II, you know, for all you Game of Thrones fans out there, uh, he wasn't quite as, as awful as the, as the Game of Thrones one, as the Targaryen one, but um, he was mad in the sense that he really, really, all he wanted to do was not really care about his, his, uh, his uh, duties as a king, but build these castles. He actually has a few of them. He just spent all the Bavaria's all of Bavaria's money on building these magical fairy tale esque castles, and you know we profit from it now, and it's I'm glad that they're there. But at the time, people weren't too thrilled, and King Ludwig II actually ended up mysteriously dying on a walk with his doctor around some pretty shallow water. So the guess is that he was probably <laughs> finally <laughs> killed and drowned because. He was a little insane, and he would not stop just putting the whole, at the time, you know, kingdom into debt by building precisely these castles. But for us, it's great because it's really, really magical, beautiful castles. It's, it's like straight from a fairy tale. It's the Disney, the original Disney castle. If you have a chance to go, I would definitely go there. I feel like all these, so many sites across Europe were, were created by monarchs who were just crazy and spent all their money yeah. and unfortunate for people back then, but very fortunate for us now. Precisely, yeah. <laughs> so next up, we're going to learn a few foreign words. Um, before that, yeah. um, just a question. So you're going to teach some foreign, foreign words. I understand that German is pretty different from other languages. You're a translator. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about how it's different and how it's developed? It is the most complex language I know. We have, first of all, we have three genders. We have male, female, neutral. And then we have six cases. Now, don't even ask me to explain to you what cases are. I've been trying to help my boyfriend learn German. It is the most frustrating thing because he will just change the smallest thing in, in syntax or who he's referring to or what he's referring to. And literally every word changes. Every word is conjugated now differently. And I say, oh, now, now you have to add an E and an S and an ES and an ENT here and this he's like what why and I'm like I don't know I'm sorry it's just how it is I really don't even see I mean I'm sure there's I know that there's a system I know that there's tables you can refer to to find out what's what's correct but it's very very difficult to teach and to even understand for me why exactly things are correct the way they are so it's a very complicated language but on the same at the same time it this provides us with really, really amazing linguistic and also poetic uh, opportunities of expression in German. And I believe that's maybe, you know, I'm really interested in how thinking is affected by language because there have been some studies on that. Depending on which language you speak, it can actually alter the way you think. And perhaps, you know, we do have very famous thinkers and poets from Germany. And I think German was definitely... A springboard for them or, or this canvas they could use and no other language could have given them what German gave them to express their thoughts to express these vivid images it's incredibly complex but incre incredibly rich at the same time yeah luckily for most tourists people in Munich are pretty good at speaking English um, yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. but it's, it's fun to learn some new words and we're only going to learn a few. So not too complicated. Uh, what, what words do you want to teach any people who okay. are going to about to go to Munich? All right. So I'm going to teach you some German, but also a little bit of Bavarian, which is a little bit different, but people sure. in Munich will definitely appreciate it if you, if you speak Bavarian. So, you know, like saying hello in German is pretty easy. It's almost the same as English. It's just hello. If you want to say hello in Bavarian, you say it, servus. Servus? Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. And that can be a greeting as well as a farewell. It's pretty versatile. Um, farewell, you could also say fieti. Fieti. Very good. Yes. Um, then some, you know, just straight up German words that are definitely important to know because in Germany, politeness and manners, you know, we're pretty stuck up. <laughs> They're pretty important. So if you know how to say bitte and danke, which is please and thank you, it's going to take you a long way um, because the Bavaria and Munich, they can, they are also known sometimes for this kind of Bavarian attitude, which is called Kantlik, which is just kind of like, you know, pulling a face, sometimes a little bit rude, but it's the same way that sometimes French people are rude. They don't really mean it. It's just how they are. 
<laughs> very, very, very warm and welcoming. But sometimes you'll just meet someone who's like, who seems like they're having the worst day of their life, but it's actually they're just that's just how they are. It's it's nothing personal. But if you say bitte and danke, sometimes that can you know soften them soften them up a bit. So bitte is please and danke, thank you. Bitte and danke. Yes. Just use those as much as possible. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Can't go wrong. Then, and that's equally kind of in the same range as uh, Entschuldigung, which means excuse me or sorry. So that's a very, very useful one, obviously. Uh, Entschuldigung? Entschuldigung. 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 Yes, that's good. Very good. It's, you know, if you need to approach someone to ask them a question, you can say Entschuldigung. Um, if you accidentally like run into someone, you can say Entschuldigung. Again, very versatile and something that's very useful, I find. Uh, sorry is kind of the first word I try to learn when I go <laughs> to a different culture because I know I'm going to be apologizing a lot. Okay, so hopefully people who go there now will not have any rude encounters. Yeah, exactly. Great. And then I'm going to teach you one more oh. kind of a fun one. Um, this is like a, sort of a Bavarian swear word, but it's not really like it doesn't actually contain any very bad words, so <laughs> it's great. Um, and we have the best. I mean, I'm sounding like Donald Trump, but we have the best swear words. <laughs> really, really true. This is this is not big news. I'm telling you, we have the best swear words. Uh, this one, Sifra Klatcha. Sifra Klatcha. Sifra Klatcha. Sifra. Sifra. And then Klatcha. Klatcha. Very good. That was it. Yes. Um, basically, it just means idiot. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> which maybe I am, since that took me five yeah. tries. <laughs> Great. So uh, while we still have you here, we're going to go through a few movies and books that you people might want to check out before they go to Munich. Feel free to add to the ones that I have. The ones that I have here are All Quiet on the Western Front, which is a a, a personal fiction story from World War I uh, and really one of the first personal war stories that was written and I think originally in German. It's quite well known. And... I have heard good things about it, so yes, definitely uh, you should read that one if you're interested in First World War history. And I'm sure there's a lot in there that you can then find in Munich that you can connect, which I think is always really interesting if you read a story about a place um, and then you're able to go there and see the places it happened and see what the story was referring to. So what books specifically do you recommend before traveling to Munich? Personally, I'm, I'm, this is my sort of genre. I would definitely recommend The Never-Ending Story, which is written by Michael Ende originally, and originally in German as well, even though it became kind of a big Hollywood movie afterwards. Um, it's a wonderful story that's still, that's, you know, not just from my childhood. I reread it recently, and it was still really, really lovely. And Michael Ende was born right outside of Munich and lived in Munich for a while. And also, interestingly enough, you can actually ride Falkor because part of the movie was filmed just outside of Munich in the Bavaria Film Studios. So if, you, if you're really, really into this and this is a part of your childhood like it is of mine, you should go there and go ride Falkor because it's really great. Um, as far as movies go, definitely The Lives of Others. And then the other one I would recommend is uh, Sophie Shaw, The Final Days. So Sophie Scholl was a 21-year-old member of this uh, anti-Nazi, non-violent student resistance group called the White Rose. Uh, it was part of the German resistance movement. Uh, and she was found guilty of high treason and executed on, uh, in, in 1943. So, and her and her brother's story, her brothers were involved as well, is very, very touching because she was, you know, so young and yet so courageous. And... Uh, again, it's great because you can actually go to the places that she was at. They became kind of, you know, famous for throwing all these flyers from these, this big staircase in the university, all these anti-Nazi flyers and just tossing them out. And you can go there. The university is right there in the city center. You can, you can see those steps that she stood on. And, you know, it, think about what must have been going through her head because she probably knew she was going to get apprehended. And she knew what what she was in it for. And I just find it so inspiring that someone so young would have the courage to stand up to this, you know, monster, to this beast that the Third Reich and the government was at the time. Yeah, that definitely seems like worth checking out. Great. So that wraps up 
the interview section of this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us your locals' tips and your perspectives on these sites and culture. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for interviewing me. I, I had a great time, and I really hope that I could, uh, you know, get some people interested in Munich because it's the best city on earth, obviously. So <laughs> go check it out. That's always a good sign when someone who's from there can speak that highly of it. Of course. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Before we get to some practical planning tips, we're going to do a segment I like to call How About That? By now you've heard a fair amount about Oktoberfest, the largest folk festival in the world. But did you know that it started out as the party for a royal wedding in 1810? It was so much fun they decided to do it again. Over the years, carnival booths were added, along with parades and tents. Today, more than 6 million people come from all around the world to attend, and more than 7 million liters of beer are consumed over the course of the festival. Okay, now if you're in the planning stages of your trip, keep listening, because in the next and final section, we'll give you a bunch of practical tips to make it all happen. If you're arriving at the airport, we recommend taking the S1 or S8 subways to downtown Munich. It will cost you about 10 euros and save you lots of money and possibly some time. The subway is very easy to navigate and runs regularly. Now let's talk about some money-saving tips for when you get there. First, if you're a student, always bring your ID. Lots of museums in Munich offer discounts. Next, the Munich City Tour Card can save you some money if you're planning to go to a lot of the sites that it covers. If you're really strapped for cash, you can always bring your own food to most beer gardens and just order drinks there. You'll still get a taste of the atmosphere without busting your budget. A lot of the museums are cheaper on Sunday. Some cost as little as one euro. You should also know that most sites are closed on Monday, so that's a great day to visit the English gardens or take a day trip outside the city. If you're trying to decide where to stay, there's a triangle formed by the Pinotech Museums, the south side of the English Garden, and the Old City. Anywhere around the perimeter of that triangle is probably a good bet and close to the action. That's all for today. I'm Levi Cabas, and thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. It helps other people discover us. All of our podcasts are also now on YouTube if you'd prefer to listen there. Don't forget to check out our blog at planetpodcast.com, especially our packing series with tips on how to pack to save space and save money. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to get updates on new episodes as well as general travel tips. Today's episode was produced by Tal and Shoshana Akavis.